Well, it most certainly is a wonderful morning. I uh, I want to say hello, hello to the guests. You had people around you, so it's not that I didn't want to say hello, but you know what I'm saying. It's people just back to back to back. You know what I'm saying. I've I've been there, and it is a nice thing. It is a nice thing. But like I went to a church before, there's a bunch of people, and like people are coming back to back, and they're like, "Whoa, chill." So like you know, two people is cool, but like you know, four or five, six. You know what I'm saying. So hello. Uh, man, I'm telling you, and that's bad too. And so I, I wanted to say hello. I do, I do want to say hello. I just, uh, and everybody's, everybody's different, so I'm, I'm a little different. So uh, we'll be in Mark 15 this morning. Um, I would, uh, I would uh, encourage you this morning to, to uh, take heed uh, about what I'm fixing to say to you. Um, Because I believe that I believe it to be very necessary. Uh, but before we really dive into Mark 15, I was thinking about as I was singing that song, "I'll Have a New Body." And as I look around, uh, the saints that have went on before you and go on before you and continue to go, and uh, and death is inevitable. Uh, and the dear brother mentioned that more people are passing from this life than, and they're not being replicated. So as far as the younger generation, now, I mean, people are still being saved, the Lord's still doing the work, and, and, and salvation is still attainable. But, but I can remember whenever I became a Christian, you would hear about all these, all these people, and, and slowly enough, as you continue to go on your walk with the Lord, you, you hear about them dying, or they're going through difficult things, or... Uh, I think about Ronnie Sutton uh, dying not too long. I think it was like a year ago, two years ago, something like that. Uh, and I, I could just remember listening to Brother Ronnie, just being a, uh, an infant Christian, just growing up in the Lord, listening to Brother Ronnie, uh, and just listening to the saints of old. And as they are getting older and passing from this life, as we look around, there's not too many people that are uh, close to our age demographic. So there is a, uh, the age demographic as far as older saints is... is uh, it, 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 there's, there's more than it is for people that might be our age that are uh, younger in the Lord. So I think about those kind of things. But I think about that song, whenever I sing that song, I'll have a new body. And even though I may not be, uh, I guess, old physically in the Lord, uh, I am in need of a new body. My body is defiled. Uh, and I think about that verse that we shall have a body fashioned like unto his glorious body. And so this wicked flesh that is decaying every day, I can't wait for the day, and I long for that day when the wickedness of this body is put down and we're perfected in Christ. Now, we're perfected already, but we're going we're gonna to have a new body in glory land. We'll be able to worship the Lord without sinful thoughts, without impurities, no mark, no wrinkles, no marks on your skin. No wrinkles, no headaches, no cancer, uh, no tears, no sorrow, no pain. I mean, there's going to come a day. See, we come into church and we worship God and we might be going through a difficult time. You may be facing death. You may be facing cancer. You may be getting older. Your body might be defiled. And, and we, we deal with these, thing, these things in life. And uh, they, they might hinder our worship whenever we come into the house of God. But there's going to come a day, and I long for that day. And I tell my Lord, I long for that day whenever I can worship you and in, in uh, perfection, where we don't have to deal with those things in life and those sorrows anymore. And what a day that will be. And I know that I look forward to that. I never regret. There's a lot of things in life that you can regret. There's a lot of mistakes and problems and so on and so forth. But one thing that I, I look back on life and I never, never, never could regret or even ever forget the day when the Lord saved me. Yeah. When he reached down to me in love, whenever he came to me, where I, when I wasn't looking for him, defiled sinner in my flesh, my, my life destroyed by sin and the sorrow thereof. Oh, but Lord, oh, but the Lord, when he reached down and he, like that song says, when my Savior reached down his hand for me. And if you're here and you're not born again this morning, even like there was a Savior that reached down His hand for me, I tell you that there is a God that reaches down His hand. And the wonderful thing about salvation is all you got to do is just reach forward for Him. His hand's already been there all along. 
But all you got to do is just reach forward for him and then grab hold of his hand and then let him begin the process of pulling you out of that pit that you're in. And I promise you, and I'm a, te- I'm a testimony and I testify under the deep pit that God brought me from. And so when I look at uh, even the worst cases, I, I like looking at the worst cases. And you should try it sometime. You should look at the worst case. Um, you see people, uh, you might go to Walmart and see a transgender, uh, you know, and whether they're reprobate or not, God knows. But one of my favorite things to do is to find the worst case and to look at that person through the, through, through the perception of the Lord perfected as He sees us in Christ. That's one of my favorite things to do because the Lord can take the worst case. Now, I know you can go too far. You can, you know, you can go too far and, and make decisions where you go way too far and you know, there's, there's no way you can come back from that. We understand that. But, but I'm saying that when I look at, at the worst case scenario, the, the worst sinner you can think of, I imagine myself before my mind immediately goes to uh, hitting them with a rock. I think about what that person would look like perfected in Christ, maybe even sitting here with us this morning. I mean, I really do. I really do think about those kind of things. And, uh, and, I, and I, I firmly believe that, I'm not talking about compromise, but you can also take a stand for the truth and, and, and be valiant for the truth, but also be compassionate in love. And you realize that these people are in need of salvation, just like we were in need of salvation. And there's, there's a lot that could be said there, but Anyways, I don't want to keep going, but uh, let's turn into Mark 15. We'll read the first few verses. I've definitely got somewhere that I want to go uh, and uh, a couple points that I want to uh, point out uh, this morning. But we'll be in Mark 15. We're going to begin reading at verse 1, and then we'll stop here. Uh, a little bit of context is uh, the Lord is, has com- essentially co- almost completed his, his earthly ministry. Uh, he's healed people, he's cleansed the leper, he's raised the dead, he's, uh, uh, he's cured people of their illnesses, their problems, uh, he's done miracles, fulfilled the scriptures, ultimately that's what his earthly ministry was to do, was to fulfill the scriptures. Uh, and as he goes, he gets to the point now where Judas betrays him, they have the last supper, and he's betrayed by the chief priest. And now we get to the point right here in chapter number 15 where Pilate is faced with a decision of what he's going to do with Barabbas and with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's begin reading at verse number 1. And straightway in the morning the chief priests held a consultation, and the elders and the scribes and the whole council bound Jesus and carried him away and delivered him to Pilate. <coughs> and Pilate asked him again, saying, Answerest thou nothing? Behold, how many things they witness against thee. And Jesus yet answering nothing, so that Pilate marveled, Now at the feast he released unto them one prisoner, whomsoever they desired, and there was one named Barabbas, which lay bound with them, that had made insurrection with him, who had committed murder in the insurrection. And the multitude crying aloud began to desire him to do as he had ever done unto them. But Pilate answered them, saying, What will ye that I release unto you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had delivered him for envy. But the chief priests moved the people that he should rather release Barabbas unto them. And Pilate answered and said said again unto them, "What, What will ye that I shall do unto him whom ye call the king of the Jews? Verse number 13, they cried out again, saying, or they cried out again, uh, crucify him. Then Pilate saith unto them, why, what evil hath he done? And they cried out the more exceedingly, uh, crucify him. Verse number 15, and so Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away into the hall and Uh, called Praetorium, and they called together the whole band. And they clothed him with purple and plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him on the head with a reed and did spit upon him, bowing their knees and worshipped him. Verse number 20, And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him and put his own clothes on him and led him out. To crucify him. Now I'll stop reading. I'll stop my reading right there. Uh, we we might go 
um, further into the chapter of Mark, though it is a good chapter, and if we don't actually progress further into Mark 15, I highly recommend that you go home and read it tonight. Because it's always good for us to, even, even for us, those of us that are born again, to get a, to get a fresh glimpse of, of Calvary. Uh, to get a fresh glimpse of the Savior and essentially what He uh, endured for us to purchase our salvation. But I began reading uh, and meditating on this thought. Last week we talked about the, uh, last week we talked about the ram that was caught in the thicket and how Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac and how God ultimately did that to test him just to see uh, and to prove his faith. And we know that that was a testing from the Lord, but uh, it was to see Abram's faith. But really the, the, the essential picture in that to communicate was that there was a sacrifice that took the place of Isaac. And so I began to think about that, and I began to meditate on it, and I began to think about the Lord's sacrifice and really what it meant for Him to take our place, really, because you hear that all the time, that, that Jesus took our place. And a lot of times, though simple as it may be, not too deep, not too profound, uh, but I believe it to be very, very necessary. And I'm going to communicate some points this morning, uh, and I'm not going to kind of go in, into too much detail, but I'm going to mention a few things um, that I believe that maybe some people here can relate to. And if not, that's fine, but I'm, I'm hoping that the Lord would make it, that it would be, uh, you'd get something out of it as well. But let's pray, and then I'll ask the Lord to bless the message. Our Father, we do thank you for the day, the morning. We thank you for uh, the Word of God. We pray that you would help us, Lord, this morning to uh, yet minister the Word to the people, that you would uh, give us a, a, a glimpse of you, if we could say that, if your spirit would illuminate our hearts to the majesty of Calvary, though terrible, though tragic, though uh, a horrible occurrence, Lord, we pray that this morning you would uh, uh, illuminate our hearts and our minds to the reality of what you really did for us, Lord, knowing that uh, if you don't illuminate the hearts of the people, if, if, if my heart is not illuminated to the truth of the word, and if you don't stir us up here today, we know that uh, you commanded us to come, you, you command us to go, you command us to do, but we know in all reality, Lord, it takes the stirring of your spirit. We know that it takes the stirring for you to illuminate our hearts, to take the message and, and place it into the hearts of the people. And we pray that you do that here this morning, and I pray that you might help us and forgive us we do ask in, uh, in Jesus' name, uh, amen. So... As you see right here, I really, I, I wanted to read it all, and though all of it is important, but there's a, certain, uh, there's a certain thought or message that I'd like to uh, convey or communicate this morning, and essentially, I don't have a title with it this morning, not that, uh, I, I, I like titles because titles help you stay kind of categorized and really just helps you to maintain structure, but I couldn't, I couldn't really come up with a title, but I just kind of meditated on it, and I, I began to think about Jesus and Barabbas, and really just, I began to think about Barabbas as a person, and I began to think about who Barabbas was, and whenever you see here, really in the scripture, the first thing really that I noticed about Barabbas is that the law had him under condemnation, so whenever you read in verse number 7, it says, there was one named Barabbas which lay bound with them that had made insurrection with him. Uh, who had committed murder in the insurrection. And so Barabbas, was, the law had him under condemnation. I mean, now man's law had him under condemnation. I mean, obviously because he had made an insurrection and he had uh, made an uprising in Rome. And of course, people used to do that back in that day in the ancient world uh, Rome was a thorn in the side of Israel. And so there would be people that would, that, that would try to raise up uh, and develop these factions to try to throw off the Romans. Uh, and that's the reason why Peter said that to Jesus when he resurrected. I mean, will not thou at this time restore again the kingdom unto Israel? I mean, so there have always been people under, uh, when, in Roman rule in Jerusalem that would try to rise up and stir up to throw off the Roman oppression. But you see here that Barabbas was, was guilty uh, by the law. And not only was Barabbas guilty by man's law, but I want to say that Barabbas was guilty of breaking God's law as well. Now, you can be guilty of breaking man's law, and breaking man's law comes with consequences. Uh, I, can, I can attest to that. When you break man's law, consequences and repercussions come from the decisions that you make as a result of the decisions you make. You must bear and deal with those consequences. But Barabbas was dealing with consequences as a result of uh, breaking man's law. But I really don't think that Barabbas really had an understanding of how severe the consequences were 
of breaking that law. I don't really think he had a full understanding of the, of the severity of, of, the, uh, of the seriousness of the situation that he may have found himself in. We don't really know. It doesn't really say. But whenever you look right here and you see that it, yeah, we do know that he was guilty and it says that he had committed murder uh, in the insurrection. But whenever you, and I'm, but I was talking about how he was guilty of, of breaking God's law. So in Exodus chapter number, uh, chapter number 20, verse number 3, uh, the law says in the Ten Commandments that thou shalt not thou shalt not kill. Excuse me. And so Barabbas was guilty of breaking God's law. The law now not only man's law but God's law had Barabbas uh, under condemnation. And you can actually read in the scriptures and see several examples. You can see that the in, in the in the scriptures were the people that Jesus would encounter were under God's condemnation. Uh, as well, for example, when you look at the leper, you see that the leper was under God's condemnation because he had leprosy. He couldn't be in the camp. He had to cover his face. He had to stay away. He had to yell. He was unclean. I mean, he was. He, the law had had him condemned. When you look at the woman that was uh, the woman with the issue of blood, that, that she had to stay far back from her impurities. There were certain things in the law that uh, uh, um, there were certain things in the law that would not permit people to, to go or to do or things that to take place because of impurities. And we know that she had an issue of blood, a personal issue. Nevertheless, the message that I'm trying to convey is that she was a lawbreaker. She was, a, she was under God's condemnation as a result of breaking His law. And so even whenever I look at Barabbas, even, the, even as the law had Barabbas under condemnation, I want to say that for those of us that are not in Christ... I say this uh, with, with uh, gentleness and with meekness, but the law has got you under condemnation as well. I'm not gonna be, I don't want to be mean, I don't want to be ugly or, or irrational, but surely you don't want to come to a place, or you wouldn't want to come to a place where somebody would stand up and lie to you now, would you? And there are so, unfortunately, there are so many churches in America where people, all they care about is as long as you have enough money to give me, I'll take your money and then I'll pronounce you okay, and then I'll tell you you're okay as long as you give me your money, and then as a result of that, I'll declare you saved, send you up on your way as long as you make sure you pay in that offering basket. And that's how people are in the churches of America. Now, I'm not saying everybody, but the vast majority of false religion in America, as long as you'll make sure that you pay us money, then we'll say that you're okay. Well, how wonderful is it this morning you have come to a place where there are people that do not do that. See, if I was a doctor, I would have the responsibility of telling you the truth if you came to me for uh, uh, counsel as a doctor. And so if you came to me for an x-ray or you had something wrong with your body, you had cancer, you had something uh, in your flesh, there was something wrong with you, right? Let's just say you, got, uh, let's say you got cancer in your head and then you came to me and then you asked me uh, about uh, the illness that you have and let's say for a fact that I know that you've got this illness that's in your head. Uh, and as a good doctor, as a good physician, it's my responsibility to tell you about the problem. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, how horrible would it be for you to go to a doctor and then you have stage 3 cancer in your head and him say, no, you're good. You're all right. Go ahead. Hey, you just keep doing what you're doing. Everything will be fine. We got you covered. Everything's good. Go ahead and go on your way. And that's what false religion does to everybody that comes in contact with it. The physicians tell everybody that they're okay. There's nothing wrong. Everything's fine. Go on about your way. And they have a terminal illness that never gets dealt with. And I want to say that the terminal illness that never gets dealt with this morning is a sin problem. We've all got a sin problem. That's, 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 we have a sin problem. And none of us are exempt from the sin problem. And so the law had Barabbas under condemnation. And there are several things that we can make application to, uh, and I definitely will. But for the sake of this morning, let's just use the application of a felony court case. I don't know if anybody in here has ever got a felony uh, charge on your record, but there's a, there's a process by which that takes place. We're talking about the law's condemnation. And so in a felony court case, the first thing that happens is you violate that law. And as a result of the law's violation, you are charged with the crime of violating whatever law or statute it is that you, that you violate. And in the, in the beginning stages of a felony court case, you get charged with the crime that takes place. Now, they, they either bring you into custody or they issue a warrant out for your arrest. And after they bring you into custody, what happens is, is they schedule you a court date. And so this morning is your court date. This is your arraignment this morning. 
And so you have been brought in where I'm going to address the formal charges and accusations against you. And that's what's called an indictment. And so this morning, I'm the district attorney, and then I'm here to present the formal indictment against you of the charges that are pending against you. And this morning, I will ask you to do three things. This is what a, this is what a, a district attorney asks of you in a felony court case. They bring you in for your arraignment. And then when they bring you in for your arraignment, they present you your indictment. Okay, so I'm going to read it. So an indictment is, is a formal accusation that a person has committed a crime, legal accusation, and condemnation. So we talked about Barabbas, now he's under condemnation. So this morning, you're in God's court. And I'm the district attorney, and I'm fixing to read you your indictment here in a little bit. But now what happens is after they read that indictment is the, the, the court or the district attorney asks you, how do you plead to your charges? That's, that's what they want to know. They want to know how you're going to plead. And so what they try to do is if you cannot afford attorney, they try to get you a public defender because they want you to plead guilty so they can add to the conviction rate and then get the process. They don't want to go to trial. And I promise you, in, God, in God's high court, you don't want to go to trial as well because he has a 100% conviction rate. Now, the U.S. government might have a 96% conviction rate, and the Oklahoma Supreme Court and all that stuff, they may have a, a, a conviction rate, but God has a 100% conviction rate. And everybody that takes their case to trial before God, they always lose every single case. And so the last thing you want to do here this morning is take your case to trial. So I'm going to present the charges against you this morning. And if you plead guilty to the charges, then God, uh, then, then if you plead guilty to the charges that are presented against you and flee to Christ as your refuge, then you won't have to face the wrath that's going to be impending upon you. So we're talking about court cases. So this morning, I'm going to present you with your indictment. So an arraignment, I mentioned that, but I want to kind of cover the definition so you can kind of understand. Arraignment is where you are formally charged in a court of law and the criminal charges that are against you by the presentation of your indictment to which against the charges you will plead guilty, not guilty, or no contest. Now that's in a regular uh, govern, uh, government court of law, okay? Right. Now you may be able to plead not guilty or, or no contest today, but that just means that we're going to set your trial date. So if you plead guilty or no contest here this morning, then that means you're going to trial. How's that? And that's how it works in the court of law. You don't just, you don't just say, no, I don't think I'm going to go to trial today. I don't, I don't think we're going to trial. Today you will plead guilty, not guilty, or you will go to trial. And I promise you if you go to trial in God's high court that you will lose. And so turn over to Romans chapter number 3. Let's go ahead and read the indictment against man this morning. Now remember, I'm your friend. I'm telling you the truth. Okay, You wouldn't want someone to stand up here and lie to you now, would you? You, 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 wouldn't, I mean, you wouldn't want me to lie to you now, would you? This is, we're fixing to read man's indictment. Amen. Romans chapter number 3. Verse number 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Now, in your indictment, what happens in the criminal court case and the system is every time they read a charge, they're going to read a charge, and then they're going to ask you, how do you plead? How do you plead? You plead guilty, not guilty, no contest. Okay, So there's only two options in God's court. And if you don't plead guilty today, you're going to trial. Okay, So what they do is they read, your, they read the indictment and then you plead guilty, not guilty, or no contest in a criminal court of law. <clears throat> but here's your first charge. There is none righteous, no, not one. So you're charged with being unrighteous. You and I are charged with being unrighteous in ourselves. And it's not because it's, it's, it's of your last name or uh, it's not because uh, what you look like. It's not of the color of your skin. It's not your ethnicity, your gender. But we're charged with being unrighteous because who we are in Adam. And we're condemned by virtue of just being born. You're, you, you're born into the world under condemnation. Just by being born into the world, you're condemned already. And most people say, well, that's not fair. Well, that's just the way that God has it, has it operated. And so this morning, I'm not, we're not talking about what's fair because in the legal system, you might get arrested or get charged with something. I don't think this is fair. Well, it doesn't really matter what we think. It doesn't really matter how you think in a court of law and you could say, well, this charge, this indictment ain't, ain't fair. Well, it doesn't matter what's fair. In God's court, God has charged you and I collectively together with being unrighteous. The, second, the, the next charge that is presented against you is there is none that understandeth 
There is none that understandeth. So you are charged with having a lack of understanding. That means that having no understanding is enough to send you to hell. Did you know that? And also, did you know that if you violate, let's just use Oklahoma law for an example. Did you know that if you and I get in a car together, uh, let's just say if all four of us are riding in a car together and somebody drops something that shouldn't be there, that's an illegal uh, thing that shouldn't be in the car, do you know that in the state of Oklahoma that the driver automatically assumes responsibility for whatever is in the car? Do you know that? And so you can't say that, well, I didn't understand that that was in the car because the police officers, still are, they're going to still take you into custody. Trust me, I know by experience. I didn't know that that was in the car, officer. I, I, I didn't know. It doesn't matter. And so you can take your case to trial, but at the end of the day, that is a, that is a law that is in the state of Oklahoma. You take it to trial, it's automa- you'll, you'll automatically lose, and you'll receive the full penalty and that, the, the punishment that is found under breaking that law. There is a term, there is a term uh, uh, in the legal system, uh, there's a Latin term, that says ignorance of the law excuses not. So therefore, just be, you can't claim ignorance, and, there, and you can say it in Latin and all that stuff, but it's, it doesn't, it's going to be unprofitable for you here. So I'm not going to say it. So, but ignorance of the law excuses not. That means that you can't claim ignorance of the law and say, well, I didn't know, therefore I should not be charged with this crime. And this morning, God has got you charged with not having understanding. You don't understand. And that's your second charge that, that's against you. <clears throat> third, your third charge is there is none that seeketh after God. There is none that seeketh after God. Why do you think you go down there to the TV church and there's 600 people there today? There's 600 people there today. Now, if we, if we took away the piano and put a drum set, you know, if we, if we took away this piece of wood and put a piece of glass, you know what I'm saying? If I, if I wore me a little Hawaiian shirt, you know what I'm saying, with some tiny shorts and then sang a bunch of songs where you repeat the same stuff over and over again, I mean, I'd, I'd get a lot of people in here. It'd get a, it'd get a lot of people in here. But, but when you talk about really singing songs that praise the Lord, preaching that edifies the saints and builds up the body, when you talk about spiritual edification to the natural man that receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, that's foolishness unto him. They say, man, I don't want to go to that church, man. And matter of fact, I sure don't want to go there for two hours, and I can't see why in the world them people go for two times in a day. Isn't, isn't one day enough? And so what I'm saying is, is there is none that seeketh after God. As we're going down man's indictment. The next one is they are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing in bitterness. Their, their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And when you see that right there, look in verse number 19. Now this is the, this is the culmination of it. We're talking about your indictment. Mine, our, our indictment is humanity as fallen creatures. Let me just say our. Now, I know there's people that are born again, but I don't want people to feel like, well, they're just attacking me. No, let's just, let's just put us all in there. It's, this is man's general indictment. And so, if you're born again, you pled guilty. You pled, you pled guilty to the charges, and you accepted the terms and conditions of the gospel, and you pled guilty to the charges, and Jesus Christ became your advocate. But for those of us who have not yet had our arraignment, okay, so that was our court date. So for those of you that have not had your arraignment, you have not had your indictment presented to you this morning, that's what we're doing. But if you keep going, it says, verse number 19, Now whatsoever things the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may become guilty before God. Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by law is the knowledge of sin." Okay, now let's go back to Mark 15 this morning. Man, time is flying. Mark 15. Uh, so I wanted to kind of bring that out and kind of bring up the, the charges that are against man and really just make the application of, of Barabbas and kind of point out the severity of it because uh, uh, Barabbas here is in a condemned condition. 
But one thing that really um, is interesting to me is how the fact that this criminal gets to go free, this wicked, vile, ungodly criminal gets to go free, and yet Jesus Christ is the one who doesn't get to go free. And that's, and that's what really interests me about, about Barabbas. But one thing that, uh, look in verse number 15, and that's what interests me is that the Savior pays the price while the guilty go free. So in verse 15, Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. Now, in the other Gospels, it said that Pilate, whenever he examined Jesus, said, I find no fault in this man. There's, there's no fault that I can find uh, in him that's worthy to, for, him to, for him to be worthy of death. And, of course, Pilate knew that for envy they did it. I mean, they did it for an envious reason. It was, and he knew that. He knew for envy they did it. But in this part, it gives you a, a comparison of Barabbas, and it shows you that he's a murderer, and with the insurrection, uh, he committed murder. So in, in Luke's gospel, it shows you Christ, and then in this gospel, it really points out Barabbas. And the fact that, the fact that it was, what is always interesting to me is that how God lets the wicked go free. Now, I'm talking about people that plead guilty. You're, I'm not talking about people that don't plead guilty, but God lets people that plead guilty to their court case, to their indictment. God lets them people go, and then Jesus pays for the punishment. Now, we know that the people, it was orchestrated that this had to happen. Uh, it was uh, by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God that Christ was going to go to Calvary be crucified. But you understand the context, but you also understand the application by which I'm bringing it out. Barabbas gets to go free. And so Barabbas gets to go free, and then Jesus pays his penalty. And that's how it is in salvation for you and I. You and I get to go free because Jesus Christ paid our penalty for us. And so Jesus steps in, in, the, in before you. And the wonderful thing about it is, is Jesus steps in at your arraignment. You don't have to take your case to trial. He can step in at your arraignment, and you can plead guilty to the charges, and then he'll act as your advocate, pleading your case before the very one that condemned you. The charges will get dropped. You know, one time I was driving in Pollard, Oklahoma, and I didn't have a blinker. I didn't have a blinker in Pollard, Oklahoma. And, I, you know, it's just these, you know what I'm saying? It's just these little things that just happen. I, I, no, I'm sorry. I did have a blinker. I just didn't use it. Forgive me. And so a nice cop, real fresh, you know what I'm saying, a real clean-cut guy, you know what I'm saying, he pulls me over, and he says, Sir, do you know what, what you did? And I said, Officer, I didn't use my blinker, and I'm guilty. And so he wrote me a ticket, but it was when COVID happened, we didn't have a drive, you know, you couldn't just go in and get your driver's license because you had to stand in line for five hours. And so I, I, I didn't have a driver's license. So I said, officer, I'm guilty. I got a driver's license. It's just not on me. Well, he wrote me a ticket for having no driver's license. Well, about a week later, I called up there. I called up to Pollard and I said, um, I said, one of your officers wrote me a ticket. I got a driver's license. Uh, I just didn't have it on me. Uh, and COVID's got everything shut down and, uh. I, got, I can't, you know what I'm saying, I can't pay this ticket, I got, I got a driver's license. And long story short, she said, oh, Mr. Welch, we'll take care of that. We'll get them charges dropped. I'll talk to the judge for you. And that's how it is in salvation is you've got a list of charges. There's a, that's just a 20-point indictment. You've got a, a charge list full of 614, you've got a 614-page indictment that is pending against you. And the wonderful thing about Jesus Christ is, is though your sins are this much, he can wipe them away clean where they'll never be there ever again. I can testify to you that my sins have been paid for by the blood of Calvary's Lamb. There's no present charges against me. The slate's been wiped clean. The Lord's let me walk out of the courthouse with no cuffs, no charges, nothing on my record. Man, thank God that there's a day, there's a day in heaven that took place where all the charges that were pending against me got wiped away. Now, you might have marks in this life. There might be things in this life. People can look up your record and, and see things and charges and things that take place. But in God's high court in heaven, all of the charges have been dropped against me. And if you're born again here today, there are no charges pending against you in heaven. And this morning, I'm the district attorney. So the Savior pays the price while the guilty go free. I think about Isaac. Isaac, I, you know, Isaac, he was innocent in the case. Now, Isaac represented the son, you know, uh, the son in some aspects. You can kind of pull types. You got to be real careful with Genesis 22 because Isaac was, he was really a sinner. But you got to be real careful in pulling the application, the context, because you can really stretch Genesis 22 further than it needs to go. But ultimately, that ram took the place of Isaac. 
And whenever Isaac's going up there, he says, my, my son, my son, uh, uh, or he says, my father, where, where is the, it's like the little kid down there, that little, that little kid in the very back row, my, my father, where is the, I mean, just he probably maybe wouldn't have been old, older than uh, that kid back there. He, my father, where is the, where is the, I mean, we got the wood. I mean, Isaac knew, daddy had a relationship with God. And so Isaac knew like, hey, we need wood for the sacrifice. And so we need wood, we need a sacrifice. And so Abraham, Abraham is just walking up this mountain. Just, I can just imagine him just sweating it, just, uh, just agonizing about what he's fixing to have to do. And Isaac has no idea. Isaac has no idea what's going on. And he's just walking up the mountain with daddy. But Isaac was still guilty, though he had no idea. And I want to say this to you, that you're still guilty of sin's penalties, though you have no idea. You know, there's a law in the book of Leviticus that says even though you're not aware, you're not consciously aware of the law that you break, you're still responsible for breaking it. And so Isaac's not aware. They're going up this mountain. And then Abram's, you know, the story, he's fixing to sacrifice him and so on and so forth. And then angel says, stop. Or no, I'm sorry. And then he says, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering. So Abram has faith. He, he, you understand that? He goes and then the angel says, stop. And then there's a ram caught in a thicket. And that ram is Jesus Christ. Where Sister Debbie said he was caught in that thicket, he was in that thorn tree, that, that thicket had him, his horns wrapped around, he couldn't let go, he couldn't go, he couldn't get away from uh, the, uh, being that sacrifice, and I think she said that it reminded her of Jesus at Gethsemane, where he was in that garden, and he couldn't get away from the thorns in that garden, and that how he had to go to the garden, and there had to be a time where he, he knew that he was going to face the wrath of God, and then the condemnation that fell upon him, the weight of the wrath of God falling upon him, I'm sure it was a terrible thing. This is what I say, and I say it wholeheartedly. I say it often, too, and I firmly believe it to be so, that when a person passes through the phase of true, true condemnation from the Spirit of God, I firmly believe that that's what Jesus went through in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, then you probably haven't experienced that. But the weight of sin that you feel about God's condemnation... The reality when God illuminates your heart to your sinful condition and He lets you know that you are under the wrath of a holy God, I believe that's the same exact way that Jesus felt in Gethsemane, except He had to endure it and go all the way. You and I just had to plead guilty to the court case. And so, the Savior pays the price while the guilty go free. It makes me think, before I, whenever I first started coming to church here, it was about, uh, it was a, uh, it was... It was probably about 11 years ago. I was coming to church here, but I, I wasn't a Christian yet. Uh, it was when I just started coming to church here. You know what I'm saying? I, I wasn't born again yet, so life, I mean, it's just still happening. Things in life, you're, you know, you're not saved yet. You're not cleaned up. You're real dirty. And, but I, I, I was going here, and Marquis and I were still going, and, and we were visiting. We were people that were visiting. We weren't joined. I wasn't saved. But I got pulled over for, for not having a driver's license. And so as a result of not having a driver's license, though I didn't know that it was suspended, I got taken into custody. And so whenever I got, uh, I was reprimanded to custody, I was sitting there for a couple days. I think it was like a day or two, and the marquee went to church without me. I don't know if you remember this, but marquee went to church without me, and everybody was saying, hey, where's Chris at? You know, and, and she was like, well, you know, I don't know what she said, but I think he might have gotten a little bit of trouble. You know, he'll be out in a couple days or whatever. And then I was sitting on that top bunk, and I can remember. Now, this is, I'm not even born again this time. I can remember it was about 10 o'clock at night, and they said, they said, well, to get your stuff out of your bed, you're going home. And I remember I was like, man, how in the world am I going home? And then sure enough, I walk out there, and Brother Glenn's sitting right out there. He paid the fine to let me go. And so as a result of the payment that he made, it allowed me to go home. Now, I'm not getting into sin. I'm, you know, don't, don't gasp. I'm not, I'm not glorifying sin. I'm just I'm helping you understand the reality and the application of somebody paying the sin debt for you. Because what happens is, is we talk about Christ and that and, and some people don't really uh, comprehend that, so I'm trying to use uh, earthly examples for that. But he paid the price to let me go free. And so that's what happens in salvation is that Jesus, you have these charges that are pending against you, though you know it not, but I've read your indictment this morning, so you're without excuse. But these charges that were pending against you, and what Jesus does is he steps in and he, goes to the, he essentially goes to the jail and he says, I'll put the money, I'll put the payment uh, to, to purchase that person out of this place. And so as a result of the payment that Brother Glenn made, that allowed me to go free. And so Jesus has this payment that's ready for you, but if you'll accept the payment. Now, I could have been, like, been like, no, you know what, I think I'm going to stay in here. You go ahead and pay that. 
You pay it for me, but I think I'm going to stay in here because, after all, I like this place. Now, I could have said that, but has any, have you ever known anybody to say that? If they get a, they get a pardon uh, and they get a payment for, uh, to bring them out of jail or, or prison or whatever, has anybody, do you know, one, name, can anybody name one person that's ever been like, you know, I think I like it in here. I don't want to leave. No, we don't do that. So long story short, you understand the concept that uh, uh, how Jesus pays the price but allows us to go free. And that message is such a beautiful thing. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, verse number 21, it says, For he hath made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so Jesus knew no sin. We knew sin. And so God takes our, after pleading guilty, God takes our sins away puts them on Christ, he takes the righteousness of Christ, puts it on you, and he accredits your account righteous for God's sake in heaven, and God never remembers the charges ever against you again. And what a beautiful thing, what a wonderful thing that is. In 1 Timothy chapter number 1, 13, he says that God would show me first a pattern unto them which should believe hereafter unto life everlasting. And so the apostle Paul was a pattern in uh, an example that, that God, not, God just doesn't save Gadarene demoniacs. God will save religious people too. Anybody in here to, this morning that's a, a religious person that's not born again, you know God will save you too. He doesn't just save demonic people. He saves religious people too. But in Timothy, in chapter number 1, I've got a couple more verses and then I'll be done, but it says uh, in, in 1 Timothy chapter number 1, uh, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners uh, of whom I am chief. And so the Lord Jesus Christ can save the chiefest of sinners. And I can testify unto you that. There's, there's not a more wicked person that Jesus Christ can save. And matter of fact, I want to tell you this, that if you're truly born again, the day that the Spirit of God dealt with you, you never thought about who was more wicked than anybody else. The night that I got born again, I wasn't like, Lord, you know, my wife is a little bit worse than me. I mean, she needs salvation more than me. When God deals with your heart about your sins, you see how wicked you are in His sight. And when God shines that light of condemnation, you realize for the first time that you're on the broken commandments of a holy God. And if Jesus doesn't step in as your intercessor, then you're going to trial and you're going to burn in the lake of fire. Now, for all eternity, now, that's not being mean because you wouldn't want somebody to lie to you now, would you? Would you want somebody to lie to you and tell you that that's not true and everything's okay as long as you pay me $1,000? You're in a place that really don't want your money this morning. So here it is right here. Jesus takes Barabbas' place. And then in verse number 17, and so they take him away. Barabbas gets to go for I mean, I wonder what, what might have went on in the heart of Barabbas. You know what I'm saying? It really doesn't say maybe Barabbas didn't get born again. I mean, gee, you know, there's a lot of people in this life that, that Jesus paid the sin debt, but they're not, you know, they're free, but they're, they're never going to experience that gift of salvation. Now, they're going to be free in this world, but Bar- Barabbas gets to go for I mean, I wonder what kind of went through his mind. Maybe Barabbas got born again. I mean, maybe, maybe you know, uh, the Lord dealt with him or somebody dealt with him or somebody preached to him or maybe he knew who Jesus was. But we never see that Barabbas ever gives a testimony or anything. We don't even know. Maybe in, in heaven we might see, but sure enough, he gets to go free. And now the story would be so much more amazing if Barabbas gets to go free and then he gets born again, right? I mean, because then you would read the story and be like, oh my gosh, Barabbas got born again because, you know, Jesus took his place. But we never see where Barabbas ever gets born again. But yet Jesus still takes his place. You know, God is good to the just and to the unjust. He makes it rain on the just and the unjust alike. So he's not only good to people that are born again, but he's good to ungodly, wicked sinners as well, though his face is against them that do evil. And so Barabbas gets to go free. There's a couple more things I want to mention. So next I want to say this, that eternal life is attainable because of the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made to pay off our sin debt. Everybody in this room has a sin debt. Now, everybody uh, is responsible to pay the sin debt. We all have debt in life. Some, you can get into debt so much where it's not manageable and you can't tell you, I've got debt. I don't, you might not have debt, but I, I've got debt. But you could get so far in debt to where it's not manageable. You can't, you can't, you can't live. You can't survive. You got to file bankruptcy because it gets, it gets to the point where it's so much that you can't, that you can't take it. 
But God can stop it where you don't have to file bankruptcy. You don't, have, you don't got to go that far. God can take that debt away from you. It says in Ephesians 2.4 that God is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us. And so though your account is negative with debt, the Lord Jesus Christ can take His account that's full of mercy and then give you a wire transfer and make your account full of mercy. Man, thank God. Man, that's such a wonderful thing. And so he pays off our sin debt. It makes me think about Philemon and Onesimus. Onesimus, uh, or Philemon, was the slave master. And uh, he was, uh, and Philemon was a, was a servant to Onesimus. And Philemon was a saved man. And Onesimus, at the time when he was with Philemon, he wasn't, he wasn't a Christian. He was just a wicked slave. Well, we know the story that Philemon runs away. Well, I mean, Philemon, or not Philemon, but Onesimus runs away, and he still has an obligation to Philemon. And so Onesimus uh, runs away, though he still has an obligation to Philemon. And the Apostle Paul writes Philemon a message, and he says, If he hath, oh, if he hath done thee wrong, or oweth thee aught, he said, Put that on mine account. Because... He wasn't profitable before. He wasn't profitable in this place before. But guess what? Onesimus is profitable now. Now Onesimus has something to contribute. He wasn't profitable before, but now he is, Paul. And if he's done you wrong, you put that on my account. And so what happens? Onesimus, Onesimus is a good Christian man. He says, okay, he takes it. He acknowledges the fact that, yeah, Onesimus, okay, Onesimus has done me wrong. But Paul says, well, well what about this, uh, Philemon? Uh, I could now. I don't want to say that. I don't want to say it like this. Like I don't think I'm going to get it right. But he says, oh, Philemon, you got a bunch of debt, and I've forgiven that debt. So I don't want to talk about how much the, who owes who. He said, Philemon, I've written it with my hand. Uh, uh, pay that thou oughtest or owest or whatever. I can't get it right, but I don't want to turn there because we're running out of time. But you understand. So Onesimus comes back, and he's free to that debt. He's free now. He can and now he can serve Philemon. Now he doesn't just serve Philemon as, as, a, a, as a, a wicked slave. He serves Philemon uh, as a brother. And so there might be people that come in here that look different than us. They might have their body marked up, piercings everywhere and all that stuff. Well, just give them a little bit of time. They may come in here and they may be a wicked Philemon or they may be a wicked Onesimus and they may come away, but they might come back and they, then at past time they weren't profitable but they might come in here and be profitable one day. So don't discount them out because they're not profitable now. Because one day they might be profitable. And so that's why it's very, we got to be very careful how we deal with lost sinners. One of the things, this is a little word of exhortation. I didn't really have this in my notes. But you got to be really careful in how you deal with lost sinners. Because if you do something and you start off too zealous and you squeeze too tight and you put too much of a crunch on them, it pushes them away. And so dealing with lost souls and with lost sinners takes time. It takes time and effort and energy and labor, and you have to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves when you're dealing with lost souls. You can't just machine gun people down because we can't get... Because remember, there are charges they can't understand. That's a charge. That's why this false religion that's so fake that says, if I can just get them to understand a clear presentation of the gospel, brother, they'll get saved. No, they won't. You can't get someone to understand something that God says that they can't understand. If they'll just understand that Jesus died and buried and rose again, yes, that's true, but God has to make that a reality in their life. And so in the meantime, you and I have to be very compassionate when we deal with them. Because they might not, just like Onesimus, they may not be profitable now, but you give them time and then they will be in the future. And that debt will be paid off. <coughs> Last thing, <clears throat> not only is the Lamb of God, not only is Jesus Christ the Lamb of God, but He is the fit man that takes away the scapegoat into the wilderness. You know, in Leviticus chapter number 16, the priest had to do all those things. And when you're a baby Christian, you really don't understand the significance of Leviticus and Exodus, and it's really just dull and boring. But really, if you go back in there and you read it, and you read that, those, that, those, those typologies, man, Leviticus and Numbers is just packed full of just awesome stuff. But in, in, I believe it was the Day of Atonement that the high priest had to, they had to have the, the, the goat or the lamb or whatever the offering was, I don't really remember. But the significance of it was after that there was the scapegoat. And so Jesus Christ is the offering, He is the fit man, and He is the scapegoat. 
And so this fit man takes this scapegoat after all of the sins have been transferred to this scapegoat. And he takes, he takes the sin, all the sins, they put their head on the goat and they confess their sins, they announce it, and then they send the goat away. But the goat just can't get sin away by itself. And I want to say your sin debt and your sin goat can't just get sin away by itself because it has to take a fit man to take the goat away. And that goat has to take, or that man, that fit man has to take the goat away. And there are people that are sitting in church today that have, that they, the, the sin goat is still there in their midst because the fit man has never taken it away. And when the fit man takes away that sin goat, what happens? All the sins that you have are taken to the wilderness. I'm so thankful that all my sins have been taken to the wilderness. They can't come back because it's been done by the hand of a fit man. And that is Jesus Christ. This morning, I don't have a title, but this morning, I wanted to talk about Barabbas and how Barabbas was the guilty one and how he got to get let go. And you have, you have charges. One more thing that I'm done. You have charges that are pending against you. This is so serious. You have charges that are pending against you. And I'm, trust me, I'm not saying, I mean, if there's anybody that understands what that means, it's me. So I'm not singling anybody out. I promise you that. I'm saying we're all, we're, I'm, I mean, I know, I know what, what y'all going through if you got charges pending against you. But you got to plead guilty. You got to plead guilty because you don't want to go to trial. Who's going to go to trial here this morning? Because if you, if you don't acknowledge your guiltiness today, because it's your arraignment. Right. Today, in Hebrews it said, today is the day of salvation. Harden not your heart today. You will make a plea today. If you do not plead guilty, we're scheduling your trial date. We're taking it to trial. And I promise you, I'm a, I'm a ruthless DA. And we'll stop at nothing and we'll have a 100% conviction rate. Plead guilty today. Amen. Plead guilty today. And you know, and, and the, how, no matter how great the message is crafted, if the Lord don't take it, it doesn't mean anything. Right. And I just, I just, I urge you today to plead guilty to the charges that are against you, because if you don't, you're going to trial. Anyways, let's let's pray and then.